what a what a great video and and if i understand right uh pastor steve came across that video just almost as he was just kind of playing with right now media and scrolling through it and that just kind of jumped out at him and he said well we're in the middle of an i am series let me let me click on this and see what this is and and what a what a perfect match to everything we've been preaching about everything we've been talking about over the last several weeks you can see several of the i am the light i am the bread i am the door um We've got several of those reminders up on the platform this morning of what we have been preaching through. And this morning we are doing what ought to be a really easy one. Uh, that's what I, I guess, arrogantly thought weeks and weeks ago as, as I sat down and looked at what, which one I was going to be preaching. And all week long I just, I just had all these, these great ideas and it just kind of fell into place. Um, Thursday night I said to my wife, Sermon is done. I mean, maybe like another half hour of just kind of playing with it, but it's done. It's going to work. And then uh, last night at, at, at 8.30, I just expressed great frustration to her because I just couldn't, I just couldn't get it. What I had just wasn't, wasn't what, was, what had been laid on my heart to share. So I've, uh, I got up early this morning and uh, spent some time just in the Word and... Uh, we're all going to find out together what God has laid upon my heart this morning. I want to do, there are several things that just kind of culturally, words, phrases, that they just go together in our culture. So I'm going to kind of test this morning, see how awake you are. I'm going to call out some things, and then I'm going to have you, I'm going to call out the beginning and have you supply the rest of it. You'll catch on really quick where I'm going with this, but there's a lot of things that go together, like peanut butter and... Okay, we got that. We are off to a great start, all right? So we had peanut butter and jelly, salt and... Up and... Back and... Shoes and... You were a little bit more hesitant on that one, but I mean, that's that's the right answer, but I just... It's kind of felt like this. Uh-oh, where's it going with that one? All right. Macaroni and peaches and mashed potatoes and although almost anything you shouted out would have worked because mashed potatoes go with everything. At least that's that's what I think. Bread and Uh-oh, we kind of we kind of lost the momentum on that one. Bread and Okay. Now once you know the answer, you're really good at them. Bacon and, of course, bacon goes with everything, right? Bacon and bacon. Knife and, song and, hot and, life and, life and death. And in and, and our culture, those, that phrase just kind of goes, just, I mean, just like peanut butter and jelly or salt and pepper, it just kind of goes together and it makes sense. Those two things have to exist together. You can't experience death if you were never alive, and if you are alive, death is inevitable at some point, right? But Jesus didn't say life and death. That wasn't one of his I am statements. I want to ask this morning, what's, what's hurting you right now? What is, what is troubling you right now? What in your life just needs to be fixed, needs to be repaired? What are you sitting with right now that is a huge sorrow, a huge pain, 
Is it a, is it a broken relationship? Is it somebody you know that's not saved, that, that doesn't know the Lord? Is it a, is it a, a career opportunity that just kind of passed you by? Or maybe an entire career that you feel has passed you by and you've just aged way past it and that's never going to come around again? Is it a, is it a chance that's, that's gone to say or, or do the right thing? Well, those are the ones that, that really seem to haunt me, those opportunities where I had to, to speak truth into somebody's life and for whatever reason I was hesitant or I wasn't bold enough or it just, I just kind of felt like, well, God will give me a better opportunity later and then that better opportunity never comes along and it turns out that was the best opportunity, the one I, I just passed. But I'll bet each of us has some sort of a hurt this morning, some sort of a, a, a death so to speak, in our, in our life. And it doesn't have to be a death, but it has to be something that just feels like it's been broken, like it can't be repaired, like it can't be fixed. And, and Jesus did not say, that's a part of life. Just live with that, because that's what comes with life. Now, we all know, we're all adults in here, we all understand that pain is a part of life. That's what comes with being alive. Sometimes things do hurt. Those are those lessons that we start to learn when you're a real little kid and you can't have cookies for dinner. You start to learn that life doesn't always work the way you want it to. The, the story this morning is out of uh, John chapter 11. And, and Ben, you don't have to put any of the verses up there because we're not, we're not ready for that yet. But it's, it's where Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is on his deathbed. And they send, uh, they send word to him, and they say, you know, you, you need to come. This doesn't look good. And when he finally gets there, he stays where he is for two days and then spends a couple of days traveling. And when he gets there, he finds out Lazarus has passed away and, and has been dead for four days. And Lazarus' sister says, you know, if, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. It wouldn't be like this. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, John eleven twenty-five. 25. If you've got that, Ben, you can put that up. Ben has no idea what order I'm doing any of this in because I don't really have any idea either. So don't, uh, don't look at him like he's not prepared. He's doing his best to, to keep up. In fact, he's doing an amazing job of keeping up. Anytime you see a mistake up on the screen, I promise you it, it's either Pastor Steve or myself that has caused it. It's, it's, it's never him. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. So he said two things to her. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Resurrection means coming back to life, right? To, to live again. Life means to be alive. So he said, I am to live again and be alive. That is what he is, he is telling her. Now, most people think there should be some element of happiness in life. Earlier this week on Facebook, I asked, what does, it mean to, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be living the life? And I got a bunch of answers, um, mostly related to, to material things and to happiness. None of the answers were superficial or, or silly, but people just had this idea that, you know, living the life means you can, you can meet all of your financial obligations and you're surrounded by loved ones and, and life is just good. None of the answers were bad. None of the answers were, you know, filled with sin. 
but most people agree there's, there should be some element of happiness in there to be, ali to be alive, some, some sort of purpose or accomplishment. And I'm going to take that a, a step further when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I think he meant two things. I don't think he meant just resurrection, coming back to life, and then being alive. I think it had a kind of a, kind of a double meaning. Now, the first one is, Resurrection means when you die, you're going to get to stand in heaven. Death is not the end. It's not just into the ground and you become worm food. We as Christians, we believe that. You are going to stand in heaven. I am the resurrection. You're going to stand in heaven. The life means you're going to spend eternity in heaven. You're not going to die and just visit. You're going to be there forever with our king. That's the first meaning. But he's got like another layer to this. Have you ever said anything and it had a couple of layers, a, a couple of meanings? I was, I was thinking about this this morning and, and what, what jumped into my, into my head was, you know, when I was a kid, I hated to clean my room. And that was like the nonstop battle, the war that I had with my mom. She always wanted me to clean my room. I did not want to clean my room. Pr probably pretty typical for a, for a young boy. But I, I just, I didn't get it. I didn't understand if you don't like looking at the messy room, don't look at it. We'll close the door and you can just walk past and you'll never know. Because I can live with it and I'm happy with it and you should just be happy that I'm happy. And, and that was kind of where I was and it was always a battle and it was always a war and I hated, I hated to do that. And one, one evening it had, it had just been a terrible, terrible day of going back and forth with her and she'd send me in there to clean and I'd sit there for hours and hours and hours if I'd have cleaned it, it would have taken five minutes. But instead, I just kind of sat there and pouted for hours and didn't clean anything. And my dad gets home, and I sat down to talk with my dad about it. And I just kind of said, why is it so important to her to have the room clean? What difference does it make anywhere for anything? And my dad said, well, the first reason for you to clean the room is if you don't clean it, if you disobey what your mother has told you to do, as she has asked you to do, she's going to punish you. And then I'm going to punish you. That's the first reason to clean the room. But the second reason to clean the room is because a part of life is doing things that you don't want to do for other people. And as a little kid, I, I, I guess I kind of understood that a little bit, and that kind of made sense. What really spoke to me was the part about getting punished. That, 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 that got through to me loud and clear. So I began to clean my room. So that, that first part of the meaning when he said, clean your room or you're going to get punished, that made immediate sense to me. But that second part of, of sometimes in life we just sacrifice and we do things we don't want to do and we do them for other people. Now that, that explanation, it didn't mean as much to me when I was a little kid, but it stuck with me and I've held on to that for years, and that's a lesson that's served me over and over again in life, not just in ministry, but, but in marriage. And fortunately, I'm really lucky. I'm married to somebody who also believes in sacrifice and doing things that she doesn't want to do so that I can be happy, and I try to do things I don't want to do so that she can be happy. And, and I think we have a, a very good marriage. We get along perfectly great. And that was that second level of understanding that second level of when he said you clean your room one so you don't get punished but two 
so that you can learn this habit of sacrificing for others. And I, I think that's kind of where, where Jesus was when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And I'm talking about coming back to life after you die and you're going to stand in heaven. And then the life means you're going to be there for all of eternity. That's the first part. And we as Christians, we've got that down pat. We understand. We've even got shorthand for that. We talk about being saved or we talk about being born again. We call that the Easter story. And we understand what Jesus did on the cross. We, we as, as Christians in America, we as Christians around the world, we understand that part. We get that part. It's the second layer of meaning that we really kind of stumble on, that we don't spend, I don't think, enough time with. Um, I'm just going to tell you, on behalf of pastors, I think we miss this one a lot, too much. Christians miss it. Churches miss it. We get so focused on that eternity in heaven that we miss the most important part because he wasn't just talking about accepting Christ and getting resurrected after you die and spending eternity in heaven. He wasn't just kind of flashing forward to his death on the cross. He was talking about the resurrection that happens when you understand what he did on the cross, when you were spiritually dead, and then you've been brought back to life right here on earth. We've got that shorthand for it, that kind of, we call it born again, we call it getting saved. Well, that's one of the resurrections he's talking about. We're focused on, just like me cleaning my room so I don't get grounded, we're so busy focused on we're getting saved so that we can go to heaven, we're not thinking about, like Jesus said, down here on earth matters. I am the resurrection and the life right here when you're walking around on earth. Not just when you die and experience physical death, but when you are here on earth and you have a spiritual rebirth and you experience a spiritual resurrection. I am that spiritual resurrection that you are going to walk around with when you understand what happened on the cross. And then I am the life that follows after you have accepted that. And what does the life that follow that look like? What should it look like? It should be an opportunity, right? Once we have accepted Christ, once we understand that there is something different about our life now compared to what our life was like before we met Jesus, an opportunity, a calling, a, a charge, this, this chance to live different, this command to live set apart, to live a life of service to others, to live a life of hope not despair, to live a life of, of obedience. Not so we don't get in trouble, but obedience out of love. To live a life of worship, what Jamie was talking about this morning. We don't just stand when everybody else stands. We don't just kind of sing or say the words that are on the screen. But a life of true worship, where we want to worship God because He has saved us and changed our life. A life that is forgiven and a life that lives as if it's been forgiven and we live forgiving others. And I don't know about you, but I'll bet I'm not alone when I say I really struggle with that. Because aren't there some people that just, we know we're supposed to forgive them because that's what is in the Bible and that's what we've been told but aren't there some people that, wouldn't it just be fun if God gave us like an exception once in a while? 
and we could just, like, just once a month pick somebody not to forgive? Am I the only one that sometimes thinks that or, or, or struggles in that way? That forgiving thing, well, that is hard, isn't it? God forgave me, and boy, accepting that forgiveness was easy. Passing that on to other people is sometimes pretty rough. To live a life of forgiveness, to live a life that, that is forgiven, to live a life that believes in that rebirth, to, to not just accept that I get to spend eternity with God, but accepting that he has a specific mission for me now that I've accepted that gift for eternity and the way that I'm supposed to live going forward. I am the resurrection and the life. Mark, you have been resurrection, resurrected. You've been born again. Now you're supposed to have a life that reflects that. And you know, sometimes we just don't focus enough on that. We focus on the resurrection that's going to happen when we pass away, and we get really comfortable just kind of going through these, these church motions. Oh, I'm going to go to church, and, and that'll be good enough. Maybe, maybe I'll be extra churchy this week. I'm going to listen to some Christian music. I might even follow along that app that the pastor keeps talking about. I'm going to read out of the Psalms this week. I might even work on the memory verse. I'm going to do all this stuff. But, but we still sometimes really struggle with who we used to be and living like we are not forgiven. And we sometimes absolutely forget, or at least we live like we have forgotten, that Jesus changed everything on the cross. I am the resurrection and the life. He's changed everything. Anything that's hurt, I asked you a few minutes ago, what's, what in your life is hurting you? Everything that's hurt can be healed. Everything that's lost can be found. What's ruined can be restored. And what's dead can come back to life. I am the resurrection. That's literally what that means. That dead can come back to life. And, and we miss that so often, and we just kind of go through the, I'm born again, and I know I'm going to heaven, and we kind of get this idea, you know, God can kind of fix broken things. I'm going to write it down on my connection card as a prayer request. And, and when somebody says to me that their life hurts, I'm, I'm going to tell them I'm going to pray for them, and I might even remember to do it. And we have this idea that Jesus can fix broken things, but we don't live as if we know for a fact that he can bring dead things back to life. And we act like marriages can't be restored, relationships can't be repaired, that lost people can't be found. We act sometimes like that stuff can't happen because God's got a timing we don't understand, and God does have a timing we don't understand. At the beginning of the story, this is, one of the, this is one of the hard things. At the beginning of the story, they came to him and they said, Jesus, this guy that you love, he's on his deathbed. And then the scripture says he waited two days before he got up and went. And then it took him two days of travel to get there. If it took the messenger two days to get there to tell him, and then he waits two days and it takes him two days to travel, when somebody's on their deathbed, you often don't have like six whole days well, somebody's on their deathbed. I guess I need to get around and, and get over there to see him sometime in the next couple of weeks. This, this sense of urgency, and he didn't feel like he had that. Now, he knew that he was going to bring Lazarus back to life, not as some sort of a magic trick, but as a way to bring glory to the Father. 
He knew that he was going to do that. So he had this timing that, that his apostles didn't necessarily understand, that the messenger didn't understand. I'm sure this messenger burst in and said, your friend is dying. And, and he expected for Jesus to get up and say, come on, everybody, we got to go right now. And just, okay, thanks for letting me know. And then two days later, he starts to move. He has a timing that we don't understand. In fact, he one time tells his apostles in the scripture that, that God knows when all this is going to happen, but even I don't know. And sometimes we use that as a security blanket because we look at broken relationships and we say, well, you know, God's got a plan that we don't understand. God has a timing that we don't understand. Maybe that person is lost and, 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 and we're just not supposed to understand why they won't come to church. Maybe this severed relationship is supposed to be this way and, and somehow that's going to work to, to God's glory and, and it'll make sense to him. We just don't understand what God's doing. And you know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes God has a plan that, that we just don't get. Romans, Romans chapter 8 says, We know that all things work together for the good. So we know that God's going to work all things, but sometimes we become so dependent upon that. That's our excuse. That's our out. I am supposed to be living this, this life of resurrection, and I am supposed to be alive under Christ and walking around with this sense of urgency. And sometimes I just, well, these things that I don't get, God's got a plan that I don't understand, so there's no urgency because God, God's got a handle on it. And when marriages are not restored and sick people aren't healed and broken relationships don't get repaired, lost people don't come to know God, and well, God's got a plan. We're not supposed to understand. But if we believe that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, if we believe that Jesus came out of the tomb, this great visual representation over there of the stone rolled away, and Jesus is out of the tomb. The tomb is empty. If we believe that, if we believe that he's going to resurrect us after we die so that we can have the resurrection and then this life with him in eternity, if we believe that, then I don't think we get to chalk up broken stuff in this life to just saying, well, maybe that's the way God wants it and, and we don't understand. Sometimes those things go undone, I think, because of us. Now, we can't make somebody else get born again. Oh, if you could, wouldn't that be amazing? If you could just shake somebody or touch somebody or just, just spend enough hours in prayer and finally their, their, their salvation odometer would roll over and, and you could do it and you could get them into heaven just by prayer. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we could do that? But it doesn't work that way. We can't make somebody get born again. You can't fix a broken relationship if the other person is not interested in fixing it. If they turn their back, if they walk away, you can't fix a relationship all by yourself. Sometimes those things will stay broken. But a lot of times the reason that God isn't working and, and we don't see his timing, it's not because he's waiting. It's because he's waiting on us to understand that I am the resurrection and the life. And the life part means, Mark, you are changed and you are supposed to live like it and you are supposed to act like it. Last week our pastor shared out of John 10, um, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. 
I have come so that broken things can be restored, so lost people can be found. Pay attention to me. But lost people are not going to hear about Jesus if we don't tell them. Brokenness cannot be fixed by Jesus if we do not act like we've been fixed by Jesus. We need to change how we live and how we love and how we interact with the world around us. We have to be changed and be different so that they can see that there is something changed and something different. I believe with all my heart that there is an awful lot of lost people and they stay lost because they look at what we have and what we have looks just like what they have. And why are they going to walk across the room to get what they already have if they already have it and they're not that crazy about it? I know this feels very disjointed this morning. I don't have a lot of coherency to my notes. But I'm just kind of speaking what's, what's on my heart. If you have accepted Christ and you understand that when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, that he's not just talking about someday we're going to be in heaven and someday we're going to be in heaven and that's going to be amazing. I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But right here on earth, we've been resurrected. And we have an obligation to live a life that corresponds with that. And all too often, we get saved and then we just act the way we've always acted. And we do the things we've always done. And we don't look any different to unsaved people. And, and the unsaved people look at the church and they don't see a difference between us and the rest of the world. Why are they interested in what we have? Because you know what we're offering them if we're just like the rest of the world? We're offering them a chance to get up early on Sunday and come to church. We're taking away an opportunity to sleep in. We're offering them an obligation to seek out some sort of a Bible study or a midweek meeting. We're offering them an obligation to feel guilty about not reading their Bible. Why would they want that? Because we don't model that it is part of a resurrected life and a changed life. We don't do a good enough job of showing the joy in all circumstances. We don't do a good enough job of modeling that it's not an obligation to spend time reading my Bible. But I get to read my Bible because it helps me to understand God. So many times somebody will say to me, you know, I've, I've tried this Christian thing, Mark, I really have, but I just don't feel God working in my life. I just don't feel like God is there. Well, are you spending any time in prayer? No. Are you reading your Bible? No. You ever turn on worship music that, that, that's about Christ and just kind of close your eyes and think about God? Well, no. You can't have a relationship with Christ if you aren't working on that relationship. You can't hear him if you won't listen to him. You're not going to see him if you never open your eyes to look for him. I am the resurrection and the life. I have changed you here so that you can live differently here. 
so that others can find out, so that others can hear. So what's, what is hurting you this morning? And how are you going to be different this week because you know who Jesus is? What is hurting you that needs to be fixed, that needs to be restored? And how can you be different this week going forward, knowing what Jesus did for you on the cross? That's my challenge for us this morning. I would love it if on the next steps of your connection card, if you had a thought on this and you, and you shared that so that the pastor and I could be in prayer with you. But, but don't feel obligated to come up with that. You might not think of it until the drive home or later today. But I would like to challenge you this morning. I'm about to pray for us. And I would like to challenge you this morning to spend some time thinking about those things in your life that need to be fixed and how you can live differently knowing what Christ has done for you so that we can show a broken world that our God can fix broken things. What is different about your life? What looks different about your life? What is different?